Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. I have to try to remember that now because, you know, I have these two podcasts. I have Consensus Network, which is my cryptocurrency blockchain distributed ledger technology podcast. And then there's this one. So I have to remember to keep this one straight. But Anyway, this is the Wealth Formula Podcast, which has been around for a while and has matured into the show that it is today that I'm very proud of, that you're a part of, because you uh, we have a lot of listeners now, and it's uh, it's cool. Anyway, uh, before we get started, one just quick couple reminders here. Go to wealthformula.com uh, to pick up a copy of my best-selling book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. You can also get a copy of that book simply by texting 44222 and typing in Wealth Formula, one word. And um, also wanted to remind you that if you just can't get enough of Wealth Formula and of what we do around here, I don't blame you. If that's you, you may fit in well with our Wealth Formula Network, which is our private group. Now, this private group comes along with... A course, it's called Your Roadmap to Real Wealth. Some big hitters in that course, including the likes of your real estate guys, Ken McElroy, uh, Tom Wheelwright, who's on the show recently. Uh, who else? Dean Graziosi, you've heard of him, I'm sure. We have Kevin Day, uh, Christian Allen, and, you know, some others, including me. Anyways, it was great. Great production we did. Spent a lot of money doing it, so... It, it looks nice. It's a very high quality piece. And uh, the other thing is that once you get the course, you are automatically part of Wealth Formula Network and continuing education. Weekly mass or I'm sorry, biweekly mastermind calls. And also uh, we have a private Facebook group. So there's lots of interaction there. It's where the magic really is. I'll tell you that. Okay, so if you're interested in that, uh, go to WealthFormulaRoadmap.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaRoadmap.com. Now, turning our attention to the topic for the day. You know, most investors with um, that I'm talking to on a daily basis, primarily in my investor group, uh, credit investor group, Hardworking people make some decent money, but their goal is really not to be ultra wealthy. They may kind of 
suggest that, but the truth of the matter is what they really want and what most people want is to feel safe and to feel some level of freedom from the shackles of the daily grind. You see, most people really only have one source of income, and that is fundamentally the problem because it's it's one source of income and it's usually being paid to them by someone else. Now, that's not a recipe for stability. No matter what you were told while you were growing up, and I know that this is a common thing that we all heard, but there's no such thing as a safe job. The only reason employees feel job security, that's what they call it, job security, is because they don't typically have transparency to the company's financials. Unfortunately, what you don't know can in fact, hurt you. And to be clear, and I've said this before, I am not here. I'm not one to inspire you to, towards entrepreneurship. This is not a show about entrepreneurship. That's not what I'm advocating. I am an entrepreneur. Uh, in fact, I will tell you this, that small business owners have their own landmines to avoid, and they can actually be even deadlier in the financial sense. Now, let me give you an example of that, something that happened very recently. One of my best friends, okay, he started um, this IT business uh, about nine years ago. It was, pre- it was around, I think it was a little bit after I started my first business. And it was going pretty well for me. He kept growing. He kept dumping money back in the business and the company kept growing. And you know what else he was he was modest in what he paid himself. That's right. He didn't, you know, he didn't go crazy with what he was spending. He paid himself last, like most business owners. Um, and most of it, you know, he just dumped right back into the company, right? His only investment was his company, which at the time seemed like a good move because things were going well, right? He was just growing and growing and growing. And then a couple of years ago, I was talking to him, you know, and he's a friend back from high school and, you know, we don't talk for a you know, few months or a year. And then we're right back to where we are. And I, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, ran into him and he was thinking about selling the company. He was talking about the company was doing well and there was an opportunity to potentially sell. And he was thinking about doing so because what he was really wanting to do was to go into some kind of public service. He's actually one of the nicest guys I know. And he wanted to do something where he felt like he was changing people's lives more. You know, he didn't feel like IT was doing that per se. And, you know, he had an opportunity to sell. Had he done that, he would have been all set. He really would have. You know, it's not like he would have gotten hundreds of millions of dollars for this company. It was a small business. But you know what? He doesn't need much to live. Uh, He's a simple guy. And he isn't really greedy like me, for example. You know, and a liquidation event with a couple million bucks would have set him up well for the rest of his life uh, and really just let him do what he wanted, which is really, again, to do more service-related work. But he didn't do that. And instead, he kept pouring money into his business. And over uh, the past year or so, because that was about how long it had been since I talked to him, 
his business started to not perform as well. And in fact, the business was declining quickly. Yet, like a faithful captain, he manned that ship. Even as he saw clear as day, it was heading toward an iceberg. You know what I'm talking about, right? Small business owners out there. He did what many small business owners would do in that situation. He tried, he tried to save his business and dumped everything he had into it. Just trying to fix it, trying to, you know, just assuming that if he paid more money into it, if he, you know, if he dumped more money into it, it would resurrect and be like the good old days. But it failed because, but he failed. And because he spent his last dollar trying to save a sinking ship, he went down with it. And now he's 44, broke and starting over. And that sucks, right? So in case, in this case, having access to the financials, like we talked about before, right? People with secure jobs, they just don't have financials. Well, in his case, it wasn't really a blessing to have the financials. It was a curse. His employees didn't know what was going on. And and when, when we had to lay them off, at least they had socked their money away, the money that they'd made over the past few years, you know? He had the curse of knowledge and, in this case, simply made the wrong choice. So, as I said, I'm not here to sell you on entrepreneurship. It has its own dangers and it is not for the faint of heart. I would argue that to be a successful entrepreneur, you've got to have some serious coronary arteries. Um, Now, for my friend, the situation was particularly harmful because of one simple concept, and you've probably assumed this, but I will verbalize it. It is single point failure. Single point failure. You see, as an employee, you get your paycheck, and hopefully you invest wisely. Hopefully you're trying to buy other streams of income to become increasingly independent on your day job, a.k.a. single point of failure. But a lot of people don't, right? You just got, you're not buying streams of income. You're socking it away into, you know, savings accounts or maybe you're putting in the stock market or whatever. You don't have a, you're not buying other streams of income. You're not doing much to eliminate that single point of failure. And my friend's small business, uh, in his case, was not only his income, his single point failure there, but it was his only investment. He had nothing else going on there either. And so when it went down, It was disastrous. Now, I got to tell you, I felt for the guy because back in 2012, when the only business I owned, um, which was killing it for the first two or three years it was around, suddenly started having some cash flow problems. And, you know, it was pretty early. And my investments, uh, you know, I'd only been out of residency training for about, I guess, two or three years. And so my investments were not nearly robust enough to support me and my family. I didn't have anything else going on. Uh, It was scary, man. It was very, very scary. But luckily, I survived. And in a situation like that, you know, as they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, it should. Unfortunately, a lot of people just let it (laughs) kill them the next time around. But but that's a but in but in a lot of cases, if you can learn from a situation like that, you're in a good 
good place because you have that fear. And I got smarter. And and what I did in response to that is said to myself, I will never get into a situation ever again where I am in a sink point where I could have single point failure that could sink me. And that that is why I started my second, third, fourth businesses because I never wanted to be in a position of single point failure again. So over the past six, seven years, like clockwork, like I predicted, one of those businesses that I've had, had a bad year. In fact, one of my businesses, one of those four businesses went out of business in this past year, and that was rather painful. But luckily, um, the other businesses uh, picked up, right? Uh, So again, it's portfolio theory, right? But in this case, what you're talking about is your streams of income, the things that keep you afloat and the things that if you don't have should keep you awake at night. I should also point out that the money that I was making and I am making from these businesses is no longer just used to fuel the businesses in existence. I mean, I learned that lesson in 2012 as well. I mean, now when I make money from a business, I don't just throw it in the same business over and over again. Most of it, in fact, is now being used to acquire assets and other streams of of income, you know, that you're calling more passive-like, in you know, income investments. So I should say that, you know, I get paid from a lot of different sources today, and some of them are more passive than others, but it doesn't really matter, right? People get too hung up on the idea of passive income, when in reality, what we really want to focus on is multiple streams of income. If they're passive, great, but man, the key is avoid single point failure. And so anyway, this idea though that it, you know, I get paid, I get checks from a lot of different sources, uh, drives my accountants crazy, but it makes me feel a lot more comfortable. But to tell you the truth, you know, I won't pretend that I feel uh, ever feel completely safe. I don't. I never feel safe. And that's probably part of what keeps me pushing, right? That's what keeps me looking for the next opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, I was joking a little bit earlier comparing my, myself to my friend. I probably am greedy compared to him. But in reality, it's not greed. It's really kind of fear, right? There's a fear element there. And that is just true. It's not like I'm, you know, up night sweating bullets, but there's something like kind of like a, uh, a it feels like there's a an element behind you. You just never know when something can go wrong. And that's what keeps me on my toes. It's the fear. And a lot of people would look at my financials and say that I was being paranoid. You know, maybe I am. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I remember, I will tell you that it's not just me because I remember seeing a television clip of uh, billionaire uh, Jerry Jones. So you guys in Dallas, you know who I'm talking about, Dallas Cowboys owner. And they were interviewing him on 60 Minutes and he had the, he said the same thing. Billionaire. He said that it was fear. Fear was what kept him going. So I bring these stories up because I think it is critical critical to assess your own situation. Are you in a position where you could succumb to single point failure at any time and completely turn your 
life upside down right now? Is that where you are? Because if you are, it's time to change it. And it's time to change it now, not when things are bad, right? You change things when they are good. And everybody's wondering why the heck you're doing something because you got it good. And in the back of your head, you know, it's because times are good. That's why I'm doing this, right? For me, it was that understanding, you know, from what I had in 2012 that made it possible for me to ultimately, you know, step out to this, step out of this business that I was owner operator of uh, as a cosmetic surgeon. And, you know, was uh, for the three of those four years, it had, you know, had seven figure incomes. And I step out from it and say, hey, I'm going to hire someone else to do the work. And in the process, I'm going to have to pay them a lot. And I'm going to have to, so therefore, take a huge uh, pay cut so that I can focus on starting my next business and my other endeavors so that I wasn't standing on a, um, you know, a one-legged stool anymore, right? And so, um, anyway, that happened. That was 2012, 2013. I started the new businesses. And uh, it basically, um, you know, there was a there was a year or so when I made less money, then boom, came back to where I was and better. And I've done that multiple times. And uh, it's worked, you know, same thing when I left the everything in Chicago It was the same type of thing. It was a scary thing. But, um, you know, I've since gotten into a lot of non-medical stuff. So it's uh, it's all paid off and it's created stability. But I think the moral of the story here and what I'm trying to get at is that you cannot, you just cannot will your way into financial stability. No matter how hard you try, you will not be able to avoid single point failure if that's what your exposure is. And it takes a deep reflection on your situation uh, to understand that. And ultimately, if that's the case, you really only have one choice. It's to take massive action. Because if you don't, you're going to, you know, you end up like my friend. Now, when you set yourself up for massive action, it's a lot easier, right? I mean, once you set yourself in motion, you know, in my case, you know what I did? I wrote a, I literally wrote a resignation letter to, uh, the office manager who at the time was now my COO for my companies. And she thought it was a joke. She couldn't believe I would step out and hire somebody else until I literally when he said, I'm, I'm totally serious. You got to stop scheduling any more patients for me because I am not no longer operating literally and figuratively this business as of this date, creating the other businesses, uh, creating the other activity and focusing on those things would not have been possible had I not stepped out of that situation. Why? Because willpower does not work. Willpower alone does not work. I had to take real physical steps to get what I want. In my case, I wanted to avoid single point failure at any cost, and that meant removing myself from a lucrative practice, at least temporarily taking a pay cut, and moving on and trying to create other sources of income. And let me tell you, for a guy like me, there is nothing more motivating than taking a pay cut to accelerate the growth of the next business. Again, that is making yourself do something 
by putting yourself in a given situation. Now, my friend Benjamin Hardy said it best. As I said before, I ripped off the name of his book, Willpower Doesn't Work. That is the title of his book, and that is what we'll be talking about on this week's Wealth Formula podcast. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Benjamin Hardy. Now, Ben has been the number one most read writer on Medium.com since late 2015. Um, his work has been read by over 50 million people. That is amazing. and has been featured on Forbes, Fortune, Psychology Today, and many others. He's, he has grown his email list, and this is just remarkable, uh, from zero to nearly 400,000 followers in the past three and a half years with zero paid advertising. So he's got some decent content, I guess. Most recently, and one of the things we really want to talk about today, he's authored the internationally best-selling book, Will Power Doesn't Work. Ben, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. What's up, man? <laughs> Glad to be here with you. Great. Well, listen, I want to talk about Will Power Doesn't Work because a lot of people are talking about this book. It is a, you know, I think it's a very useful mindset type book. So let's just start with this. Why did you, why, why did you write this book? Why did you start thinking about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few kind of key events in my life led me to really thinking about this subject from a different angle. Because uh -huh. uh, obviously, intuitively, as a Western thinker, willpower, you know, is something that we all aspire towards. It's something that, you know, we all would think would we would want and we want more of it. And that's actually when I was going into my PhD program in psychology, I specifically wanted to study willpower uh, under uh, Dr. Roy Baumeister, who's kind of the leading psychologist on the subject. But uh, I'll just kind of share very briefly some events in my life that have led me to thinking differently about it. So I grew up in a really rough, and I talk about this in the book, really rough situation. Parents got divorced. Uh, my father went down a really dark path for a long time. And like, really, I couldn't be in his life. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, drugs and stuff. He's actually turned his life around in the past few years, which has been amazing. And we, we've got a great connection now, but 
he went down a really dark place and I just had basically no stability. And as a result, fell into a lot of traps like in high school and stuff and just went down a lot of bad paths myself. Um, and I found myself about a year after high school, you know, I barely graduated, didn't have a job, was living at my cousin's playing like 14 hours of World of Warcraft every day, you know, and just like doing nothing, you know, eating Little Caesars pizza, drinking Mountain Dew, like just totally like nowhere, had no direction. Uh, and I was extremely unhappy. Um, and ultimately, I started just running a little bit with my cousin. And I started just doing a little bit of exercise just to give myself something to do. And I started to think about my life and realizing that like the life I had was not the life I wanted. I ended up serving a two year like humanitarian church style mission where I just like did a lot of church service, did a lot of just helping people, you know, just literally focusing on helping people. And in that time, I read a lot of books, a lot of personal development, a lot of business, a lot of philosophy, a lot of religion. Um, And I started journaling a lot. I I filled stacks and stacks of journals, just documenting my experiences. Um, And I really experienced a huge change during this period of time. When I came back home, I was really shocked to find that like everyone back home was still the same. And this was after a two year experience where like I, I went through a lot of change Yeah, and, and I came back home and I felt like everyone was still kind of in the same place. And actually my leader, uh, like the kind of like the boss slash leader on this mission experience, he told me at the end of it, he said, you know, Ben, the worst thing you can do after an experience like this is to go back and be the person you were before. Like, cause I, I, I did change my life. Um, and so I realized that if I had stayed around these same friends, you know, my high school buddies and stuff like who were, they had the same mindset, same even language, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. That I would quickly revert back to the person I was. And so that was one big experience. Um, the more recent one, aside from just studying psychology for the last 10 years, um, is, you know, becoming a foster parent of three kids. We became a foster parent, foster parents about four years ago. And what, what it's really crazy when you take kids from a really rough environment. Um, basically these kids were heavily neglected, you know, yeah. uh, parents were on drugs. They, they weren't going to school. Um, you take kids from basically an environment with no opportunity and you put them in an environment with a lot more opportunity and you watch them change. And I changed as a result. And so, uh, those were some of the big experiences that led me into thinking about the power of environment versus, um, the power of like willpower. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump into some of the concepts, um, which I think are, are, you know, obviously we're not going to. It's a, tough to to cover a whole book, but I mean, just some highlights um, and some larger concepts. Um, one of the things that you talked about in general is that environment uh, beats willpower. Give us an example of that. Uh, you know, cell phone addiction. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Caffeine right. addiction. Right. Uh, American obesity. I mean, how many examples do you need? Depression, depression levels are skyrocketing. Um, You know, we live in an exponentially changing world. I think a lot of the people on this podcast, you know, heavily educated, very successful group of people know that, you know, the world is changing so fast with technological acceleration um, and globalization that the environment, you know, it's very stimulating. It's intense and um, willpower Another definition of willpower, another word for willpower is decision fatigue. Basically, it's the idea that the more decisions you have to make, the less quality they become. And, you know, we live in a world now with infinite choices, decisions, and options. And so people, people's willpower gets sapped pretty quick um, right. in today's world. So people are, you know, 
what we see now is is addiction rates and depression and all these things, anxiety, just skyrocketing. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I think you talk about is that every environment has an agenda and the idea, I guess, would be uh, similar in that, you know, if you have a, you know, if you're trying to get some work done uh, and you're sitting by your your smartphone with all your social media on there, et cetera, what you're doing is giving yourself an out, right? You're giving yourself an option. Um, with that environment, you're giving yourself the opportunity to just simply tune out, lose focus, and, and, and you know, check Facebook or something like that rather than to continue working, right? Totally. Yeah, most people, most people are unconscious. Well, we're all, all behaving very unconsciously most of the time. So the goal is to create an environment where you can unconsciously operate at desired levels. But in the case of the cell phone in your room, you know, if most people are honest, they're probably unconsciously triggered to check their phone a lot more than they want, even if they're just chilling on their computer, unconsciously triggered to um, hop on Facebook or social media or, or just, you know, people are so distracted and they don't realize it's because their body has literally become addicted to the, to the neurochemicals, you know, to the, whether it be the dopamine or something. And so the, you know, the physical body is the unconscious mind. That's what one thing a lot of people don't really realize that they think the unconscious is like a floating essence, but it's their physical body and their physical body literally gets addicted to chemicals. And that's why it subconsciously jumps into. And so you really need to think about it. So there's a really good quote that in a lot of ways I based the book on, and it's from Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. It came from a book called triggers. Uh, and the quote is, if we do not create and control our environment, our environment creates and controls us. And so the idea is, if you want to live your values, if you want to achieve goals, if you want to not have to consciously control your behavior, which is basically the definition of another definition of willpower is just having to consciously control what you're doing. Um, it's so much better to make the decision up front to set up your environment so that it resonates with what you're doing. So you don't have to battle against it so that you can just unconsciously act in desired ways. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned like addiction, for example, and, um, you know, what, what is addiction? At the end of the day, it's sort of just an extreme version of, of, of what our decision-making processes like all day long in a non-pathological state, right? I mean, you get these little uh, miniature dopamine hits all the time. It's impulsive, though. That's one of the core reasons why it becomes addiction. It, it's extreme behavior because it's impulsive. Right, right. But at, to a lesser degree, in the non-pathological end of that spectrum is the use of a phone when you should be, you know, I mean, I do this all the time, right? I mean, I just, we have these little triggers and I don't consider it an addiction necessarily, but it is, it is an addiction. It's just one that probably doesn't harm me quite as extensively as, uh, you know, some, some people who have, you know, impulsivity that creates drug addictions or, you know, et cetera. So let's talk about some of the other, you know, some of the strategies that, um, that you use to, I mean, I, I guess to to train Pavlov's dog, right? I mean, how do you how do you how do you untrain some of these problems um, and and divert your attention from these if they become a real problem for you? I mean, it's as simple as controlling. Uh, you know, as you know, there's some people obviously who have some significant impulse issues. So you talk a little bit about creating triggers to prevent self sabotage. What's that all about? Yeah. I mean, 
There's so many practical strategies, obviously. Happy to right. go into as many of them as you want. Sure. Um, the, the whole idea of creating triggers to prevent self-sabotage comes from an idea in psychology called implementation intentions. Uh, basically, what it, the idea is, is just to have a pre-planned response when you get triggered. Like it's, to, it's, it's planning for failure because you, you, know, you know that something's going to pop up towards a big goal. It's knowing that you're not going to be able to control every situation. And so sometimes something's going to happen and it's planning ahead for those situations and knowing what you're going to do. So you basically, you create an if then scenario, if, you know, this happens, if I get triggered to do this thing, then this is going to be my response. And this is how, um, elite endurance athletes go a lot further than most people. Cause you know, basically with, um, like big elite endurance events, if you do not like pre-plan the conditions in which you're going to quit, you're going to quit way before you could. I mean, you're going to quit way before mm-hmm. you have to. Like basically what endurance athletes say is like, I will not quit unless, for example, like I lose my eyesight, you know, but if you don't have a pre-planned response, then pretty much the moment you experience some form of resistance, you'll probably cave. Um, and so if you don't know what you're going to do beforehand, the situation's probably going to win in this case, you know? Yeah. I'm curious what, you know, I, I know you're, uh, you're about to complete your psychology, um, a PhD and, and my background, you know, includes neurosurgery and neuroscience and things like that. I'm curious on, um, what the, if we know what the, 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 the chemistry or the, the physiology in that, in that particular strategy would be right. I mean, if you've got dopaminergic hits that are creating this impulsivity and, and, you know, are satisfying the impulsivity or whatever, uh, what are you doing effectively to change your body's chemistry or your brain's chemistry when you're diverting? I mean, how I look at it is, is like the brain is, you know, a, a prediction machine. The right. whole, you know, the goal of the brain is to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you do something different, you know, so a lot of people, given that the trigger exists, probably means that, you know, they've caved in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, the, strengthening the axons is, is part of yeah. it, right? And then creating yeah. new pathways of your brain um, and maybe some uh, alternative pathways uh, and strengthening those instead. I think potentially that's a way to look at it. Totally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the only way to grow is to change. The only way to change is to change your behavior, which creates unpredictability in the brain. You yeah. know, like you do something uncertain, the brain doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And you know, here's, here's a related interesting thing that I always found interesting when I was in neuro and uh, the idea of neuroplasticity, right? So if you have, for example, if you're right-handed, right, and you break your arm and you can't write, you know, using your right hand for a while, if you look at functional MRIs over time, even if you're an adult, the left side of you, the, the, the left-handed part of your brain suddenly starts to light up. So we have this idea uh, in, you know, traditional neurobiology that there is not a lot of plasticity or, you know, ability to change for people once they be, reach adulthood. But what we're finding more and more is that, yeah, I mean, what you can, you really can change your physiology. And, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at with some of this behavioral stuff. Just, just to add to that, there's a really good quote from Albert Einstein. Yeah. And he said that the, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, 
Let's see. And then in terms of, uh, you know, fundamentally what we're trying to do here is we're trying to remove the need for willpower. Uh, and, and that really means um, just taking decisions away, doesn't it? Ultimately, that's, isn't that effectively what you're doing? Uh, it, it's two things. It's actually making decisions and then it's removing negative options. So, right. um, one way of looking at willpower, you know, is that it's a form of internal conflict. Like if, 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 if you're triggered and tempted, for example, to eat a cookie yet at the same time, you're trying to train for like an event and you're really trying to get fit, you know, or you're trying to have a six pack. There's a, there's a conflict there, right? Like you're having, so one of the, like my favorite quotes is the idea that basically if you're required to use willpower, it means you don't know what you really want to do. Like you haven't actually made the decision. Um, like if you truly make a decision, like I'm no longer going to do this. Like one of the like Greek definitions of decision is to cut off alternative options. And so if you actually truly make a decision, which is something that, you know, people aren't very good at these days, a true decision, um, then, then the decisions made, you know, you don't have to have the internal debate. And if willpower is occurring, there's an internal debate. You're trying to figure out what you want to do. You're battling. It's like the kids trying to eat the marshmallow. You know, they don't, they haven't decided in this case that they're either going to, or they're not going to like they're caught in the middle. Um, so that's one thing, um, is make a decision like burning the bridge almost a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing happens until after the bridges are burned, you know? So one, one component is actually making a decision. The other half of that is, and it's required if it's a true decision is to create an external environment that facilitates that decision. Um, so that's where you actually eliminate bad options. Um, there's a really cool quote I'll just share. It's from Jason Freed. He's uh, the founder of Basecamp, which is a multi-billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. So this is what Jason Freed said on, uh, on a Tim Ferriss podcast episode. He said, I'm pretty oblivious to a lot of things intentionally. I don't want to be influenced that much. It's the idea that like you purposefully, it's like the idea that good is the enemy of great. Um, if you know what you want, then you want to eliminate negative inputs that are going to distract you, that are going to dissuade you. Like why, why deal with options that are below sub, you know, that are subpar, just get those out of there so you can focus on what you want. Um, what's the, you know, what, what I'm just curious in your own life, what are some of the things that, you know, these strategies have helped you do? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I mean, so there's a really simple, cool idea. It's, you know, if it's not, if it's not like no more, yes, basically no more. Yes. It's either hell yes or no. (laughs) So obviously saying no to really good opportunities. Um, just being willing to say no, like that's a hard part about decisions. When you make a decision, you have to embrace the fear of missing out, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't want to do. Um, one of the things I talk about in willpower doesn't work is an idea called forcing functions. Basically, it's about creating situational factors that force you to do what you want to do. So like one could be if you want to get better at public speaking, you actually like sign up for a speech, you know, like you actually sign up, um, you invest some money. It could be to like hire a coach. You basically put yourself in a position where you you feel like you have to and then you have a timeline and stuff. Um, So, I mean, I apply that concept all the time to like get myself to move forward. Um, Um. my, my foster kids, for example, which we've adopted, actually, we adopted all three of them uh, earlier this year. I mean, my whole life in a lot of ways kind of keeps me in check in, right. in ways that I want it to, you know, like in order for me to live my values and my goals, like 
I've got to be a good husband and father, you know, like they expect that. Uh, and there's an idea in psychology, which I talk about a lot in the book, and it's called the Pygmalion effect. But basically the idea is, is that the expectations of, of your environment, of those around you, in a lot of ways determines what you do and where you go. And so I've created a situation in a life that kind of keeps me where I want to be in a lot of ways. I have a lot of fluidness. I've got a lot of option. There's a lot of wiggle room. But like, yeah, I mean, my life keeps me where I'm keeps me on path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as an entrepreneur too, um, and I know you, you and I are both part of a group with a lot of entrepreneurs in it. Um, this is particularly important, you know, kind of philosophy in general. Uh, I don't know if it's just entrepreneurs. I would say it's most people in life, but I, the, the idea of being able to just kind of say no all the time, uh, not all the time, but to, to most things is critically important. You know, actually Dean Graziosi, um, I remember it, and I don't know if he said it on the show or he said it one other time that I thought was pretty impressive, uh, was that he said, saying yes, got me to 10 million. And then he said, saying no, got me to a hundred million, <laughs> which I think is, I think it's really brilliant because the, the, the reality is that as you create, start creating success and, you know, whether that's in the, you know, in the entrepreneurial world or for our group with, with, um, you know, you have a million uh, different opportunities to invest in. I think you have to start, you know, figuring out um, what works and really focus on it. And um, saying no is hard, but it, it really can can set you free. Totally. But um, anyway, Ben, we're going to the book is called uh, Will Power Doesn't Work. Uh, and, uh, we will put show links to it. It's, uh, getting tremendous, uh, rave reviews everywhere. Uh, super excited for you. And, um, where else can we find, you know, more of your content? I guess medium, right? I mean, medium.com is that the, medium? you could just go to benjaminhardy.com. I actually have a, uh, basically a reference page of all my most top, you know, my top articles, um, yeah, I mean, I've got all sorts of stuff on BenjaminHari.com. List yeah. of favorite quotes, different like online programs. So BenjaminHari.com is kind of the place to go. Sounds good. And uh, we will definitely add to that gigantic uh, email <laughs> list of yours. Anyway, Ben, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully this show has been a wake-up call for you. And at the very least, I strongly suggest... You evaluate your own situation and, and adjust it. Uh, if Certainly if you have exposure uh, that you've been neglecting. Uh, in the personal finance sense, it's all about avoiding single point failure by creating robust secondary income. You know, that could be through businesses or just buying streams of uh, cash flow, accumulating cash flow through assets. Um uh, you know, there's there's people who avoid this kind of stuff left and right, right? If you've been sitting on your hands, it's time to stop hoping that the problem will go away because it won't. You have to do something about it. If it's about cash flow, buy some streams of income. Don't just sit there and, you know, watch this money sit in these accounts like your financial advisor is telling you to. You have no income. If you get fired, you have no income. If you are an accredited investor, I mean, you could consider joining my investor club, wealthformula.com. Go there, join the investor club. Even if you're not, start looking for some opportunities, lots of opportunities these days for even non-accredited investors. Um, if you've been avoiding retirement planning issues or, or, 
or insurance issues, life insurance, things like that. People do that all the time because they're like superstitious or something. Go to wealthformulabanking.com. Check out those products. I mean, those particularly, um, you know, there's a product in there called Velocity Plus for those who have been slow to the retirement planning um, game. That might be a really good option because you're utilizing uh, leverage to try to make up for time there. So anyway, do that, right? Do that and 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 just take some action. That is the uh, action plan for the week. Now, uh, one other thing, um, just in, before I go, I'd like you to make sure that if you have not, please go to wealthformula.com, follow the links there, and give us a five-star review. Now, I don't ask you for this every show because it's sort of annoying. I hate bugging you guys about it, but it does help with rankings on iTunes, and that continues to help get you know the high-quality guests that we've been getting. As you know, I mean, we're well, we, you know, we, we, we do really high quality stuff on here. And I think we're a very different podcast than most right now, especially in this space. Um, and so go there, give me a five-star review, subscribe to the show. If you haven't, that really helps. Um, and finally, um, one other thing, if we have a Ask Buck show, um, you know, coming up in the near future, it would be nice to get your comments on there. So if you go to SpeakPipe, Ask your question. We'll play it on the show. Tell us your name if you want to. You don't have to, though. Um, Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Safeview with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.